Welcome to the More Beach Meetings podcast produced by Surf Office. I'm Carson Sweezy. The More Beach Meetings podcast gathers the leading voices of the future of work to discuss remote working, company culture, and team retreats with new episodes the first and third Wednesday of the month. Today's guest is Shane Metcalf, the co-founder and chief culture officer of 15.5, software that elevates performance and engagement of employees by continuously asking questions and starting the right conversations. Shane, along with his co-founder, David Hassel, also hosts the Best Self-Management Podcast, a podcast that proposes that if leaders build cultures and institute practices that support people in being and becoming their best selves, then high performance and uncommon loyalty will naturally result. In this episode, we discuss those topics as well as why there is no difference between self-development and personal development, what it means to create transformational experiences so that when, or in 15.5's case, if people leave the company, they're better than when they got there, and why 15.5 offers to buy their employees tickets to Burning Man. Let's get into the show. What's the difference between professional development and self-development? Yeah, well, I would say that there's very little difference. And while there are, I think, important distinctions between developing ourselves personally and developing ourselves professionally, in Business today, I don't think it is as useful of a distinction as it used to be. That when we talk about creating companies where people get to continually learn and grow and ultimately achieve extraordinary high levels of performance, we need to think about development as a larger kind of meta category where it doesn't matter as much if somebody is personally developing or professionally developing. Because what we know from research from people like Carol Dweck, where she's been looking into growth mindset versus fixed mindset, is that the more we're learning anything, the easier it is to learn everything. And so if you create a company where people are supported to pursue meaningful personal development, that is going to have a positive impact on their professional performance. Not to mention that you get to make a much larger contribution to each of your people in a way that's going to last a lifetime. How do you bake that mindset into the roles within the company? If growth and learning and achieving are this main staple and you see development as a larger category, how do you do that within the roles? Yeah, well, you want to start thinking about how do we bake development into the daily flow of work? It used to be that Development was something we would think about, okay, well, we're going to hire our high potentials a coach, or we're going to do an offsite, and that is our time for development. Or maybe we do an annual performance review, and that's going to surface some things that we can work on. The way we want to be thinking about it, and the way that the, the world's most cutting-edge companies are approaching this, is that development happens every day. That every one-on-one is an opportunity for development. Every feedback loop that we create inside of a company can lead to improved performance, increased engagement, and ultimately overall performance as a company and as individuals. And so what does this really mean? Well, it means starting to look at what does the social science say about human thriving? How do we actually leverage the insights from people like Abraham Maslow? from Martin Seligman in the positive psychology world and bring those things into our organizations and how we design them from the ground up. You know, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and 
when you get out of when you once you're physically safe and you have your basic necessities of life like shelter and food handled the next core need of a human being is belonging and so by focusing on creating a culture that generates a strong sense of belonging with your people you are actually doing the foundational work required to then develop esteem which is often where we actually think of professional personal development is cultivating esteem but without a foundation of a sense of belonging that's going to be much harder to actually accomplish and so building organizations that create a sense of belonging is one of the most powerful things you can do for your people's personal professional development that's a really interesting insight i like i like how you put it cuz a lot of kind of the classic sales teams where they're just building people up at the beginning of the day or doing like a rah-rah thing. You're saying it, it starts way before that. You have to feel like you belong and then you're comfortable to believe in yourself. So how do you bring that sense of belonging to people? It's, I'm sure it's more than just some beanbag chairs and like free bagels and stuff, right? Yeah, look, people have been confusing the perks with the culture and it's not. The perks are not the culture. The culture is the perk. How do you actually create a sense of belonging? Well, you start with actually being interested in the individuals inside of your company, recognizing that we all come to the table with incredibly complex, dynamic stories. Each one of us has lived a full life. And if we come into an organization and, and all of our onboarding is all about the company and all about the company's vision and all about what the company wants and all about what the company needs and this is how you, you fulfill the mission of the company. That accomplishes something, but until you actually flip the script a little bit and you start asking, okay, well, okay, Mr. Employee, Mrs. Employee, who are you? What's your story? What do you really want? What's your mission in life? Do you feel a, a calling? Do you have a sense of purpose? What is your bucket list? What are the areas that you want to grow in? What is your ideal life look like? What does your ideal career look like? You know, one of the things that I ask every single person that joins 15.5 is, and it's more of an invitation of saying, look, this is an opportunity for us to co-create the company that you've always wanted to work for. And what that does is that it actually has people bring their own agency to the table because they get to be co-creating the culture. Because culture is a real-time phenomenon. It's constantly being destroyed and it's constantly being recreated in every single moment. Every interaction, every email, every Slack message, culture is being built up and it's being teared down. And that's why when we start to understand that we get to give people permission to co-create the culture that they really want, that is aligned with their own personal values, that's where high engagement, that's where high performance come from. Because suddenly, once we understand what people really want in life, we start to tap into the difference between extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation outperforms extrinsic motivation all the time, especially when it comes to creative problem-solving work, which is honestly the majority of what you know knowledge workers in the United States are actually doing every day. How do you do that across the board? I know you're really intentional with hiring people who are a culture fit and people who are inspired by what 15.5 is doing, but how do you 
how do you train leadership? How do you train everyone on the team involved to to ask better questions and be more intentional and be interested in individuals? First of all, I think culture fit is a bit of a, a misnomer and is, I think, a, gratefully a concept that we're going to leave in the last decade because it's really about culture contribution. There's values alignment. You know, somebody has to be on board with values, but then I want people to come in and mutate the culture. I want people to come in and add their own flavor to the culture. I do not want a homogenous culture that is, hey, this is what I set. This is the only thing. Anybody that doesn't fit in that, get out of here. There's, of course, certain things where people need to be on board with certain some of the values, and that that's not going to be a good fit if they aren't. But for the most part, culture fit, I think, is an erroneous idea that we really should be letting go of. I know it's a radical idea, but you need to train your managers. Managers should be one of the highest regarded, um, one of the hardest to get positions inside of an organization. Gallup says that today, nine out of 10 managers are not fit to be managers. Like they don't have the right skills, the right mindset to actually be performing as a manager. And so what that tells me is that it's like putting a lot of attention on, okay, who gets to become a manager inside of an organization? What does that really mean? And being deliberate about it and then being deliberate about the ongoing training and follow-up that you're in the resources that you're providing your managers is absolutely essential to your success. Because employees don't leave companies, they leave managers. 70% of people that left their jobs said that their manager was the reason they were leaving. So if you can influence the manager-employee relationship If you can make your managers more effective, more skilled at coaching their people rather than commanding their people, that is how you're going to start to level the playing field. Now, 15.5, we we built it as a platform to give managers superpowers. And we want to make the principles and the things that the best managers in the world naturally do, we built software to act as the scaffolding to make that easier. Sadly, you can't just solve this problem with a magic bullet of a software product. We help, but we know that that's only half of the coin. You need to invest in training your managers. You need to have some insight and visibility into what's actually happening with your one-on-ones. You know, a lot of companies say they do one-on-ones, but what's the quality of them? 80% 80% of the people I talk to that say they do manage, they, that they, their company does one-on-ones, I ask, great, how do you know that they're happening? Most people have zero clue if they're actually happening. So bringing more accountability, more transparency into what's going on with the one-on-ones is a really great way to re- make sure that you're holding a high bar for managers actually using those meetings in an effective way. They're not just check-ins to hold people accountable on the tasks that you talked about from your last one-on-one. Your one-on-ones should be developmentally focused on the individual. They should be coaching sessions. They should be uncovering what's really going on. What's it really like for this person? Where are they stuck? And then how do you help them get unstuck? But not just by giving them the answer. I think that's where a lot of managers fall into a trap as they think, I'm Superman, I need to solve your problems. 
but you should be more like Yoda and ask questions. You should lead people, you should coach them so that they arrive at their own solutions. That is really where this idea of continual development takes place. Because then you're not only getting helping the person arrive at their own solution, but what it took for them to arrive at that solution, they grew in that process. They became more competent. They did the actual push-ups themselves instead of you doing it for them. I love what you're saying about the not wanting culture fit as much as culture contributions to. I mean, by nature, it's when someone new is, is coming into the organization, it's going to be a new organism, right? I mean, you're having a new input. So that totally makes sense. I see where you're going with that. So going back to managers and, and management and coaching sessions, what other types of experiences do you instill within 15.5 to have some of these questions come up and some of the more personal self-development happen? You really want to start with mindset. You want to start with what do you actually believe? Because a lot of people believe that as a company or as a, a people leader, my job is to hold, you know, uh, is to kind of command other people, give orders, tell them what to do, hold them accountable. If they don't do what I, I tell them to do, then put them on a performance plan. There's a lot of assumptions and beliefs about managing other people that we've collectively inherited from previous generations, from previous business models. And so what you want to do is you want to start a, some challenging some of your own thinking. You want to challenge, well, what is my role as a manager? What is the role of every manager in this company? Because if you start with a premise like, for instance, you know, and this is what we talk about it in Best Self Management, is my job as a manager is to help my people achieve high performance by becoming a better version of themselves. That is my role as a manager. That is going to produce very different outcomes than, say, a belief that my role as a manager is to drive high performance through fear and intimidation and making sure that people sacrifice everything else in their life in the name of achieving a number. And I don't really care how you feel. I don't really care what you think about it. All I care about is the result. That's going to produce a very different behavior from the manager. And so getting the right mindset, really thinking through what is your philosophy around people management. If you're a, an entrepreneur, you're somebody that manages other people, it will behoove you to spend time thinking very deeply about what is the outcome that I want from my people and what is the impact that I want to have on my people. Because if you think deeply on those two things, it's going to lead you through some really cool revelations. We're so blessed right now to understand much, much better than we ever have what actually motivates human beings. How do you get somebody to do the best work of their life? It's not through money. It's not through emotional pressure. I'll tell you that much. And so when you start to have those epiphanies, when you start to see the research that's been done, it's a very natural conclusion to, to start thinking through, well, okay, how do I align the interests of the company, what we need to accomplish as a business with the interests of the human beings? What do they really want and how can we actually use the company as a vehicle 
for the development and the self-realization of our employees. And that is when magic starts to happen. So, so how are you using retreats to either find out these questions or fulfill the answers to these, some of these questions? Yeah, so uh, we, as we were chatting before, really excited. Just next week, I'm bringing um, about 200 uh, 15 fivers together for a week of business strategy, kind of epic parties, workshops, deep connection, deep conversations to create a, a strong sense of unity between all of us so that we can be rowing in the same direction. We all have that sense of belonging. We're all cultivating our esteem and we're all clear what the actual mission is to accomplish. And I think retreats are just remarkable, you know. I would imagine a lot of people listening to this are a part of or run distributed teams. And we're in 15.5. We have three main headquarters in, in the United States. We've got about a dozen other locations throughout Europe and then remote people all throughout the States as well. And so once a year, being able to come together in person and meet each other, many of, many of us for the first time, is a really unique opportunity. And I like to think of them as transformational business retreats. I'm not in the business of just getting people together at a hotel and getting them drunk and calling that bonding. I want to design experiences that allow people to have peak emotional experiences. You know, some one person from my last retreat said that it was one of the top five experiences of their life. And that's what I'm talking about. Can you get really good at experience design where people are, are having revelations about themselves, they're having revelations about the, the life they want to live, about their own personal goals, around their own personal strengths and their genius, and then bringing that together and, and having meaningful, deep conversations, getting to know each other beyond the superficial level. And that is, uh, that's when it, get, it really clicks and when people are like, holy shit, I want to stay around this company just so that I can experience what the next retreat is like. And, you know, we'll see. It's, uh, it's a whole nother animal. I mean, our last retreat in 2019, we were about 70 people. We're about 200 people this year. And so it's going to be a totally new experience. I'm a little nervous, but I'm also really excited. And I think, I think we're going to pull it off. So we'll have to follow up on how it went. Seriously, yeah. I don't know that, it, that we've had anyone on the show that's hosted uh, 200 people on a retreat. So I'd love to hear what you guys did and the activities you did. What have you done since we're at the before stage now? What have you done to, I guess, like set the intentions before the retreat within the company or like what kind of feedback have you gotten from them? What has gone into the before process? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a shitload of work. I tell you what, you know, it's like it's like throwing a little mini festival and um, I'm thankfully have a really great team that I work with. I, I work with uh, a company called Adventure Architects, just to give a little plug to them, Noah and Karina of Adventure Architects. And they're incredible. This is what they do. We've learned and grown a lot together in the whole process. And, you know, I mean, it's funny because, you know, there's some pre-homework that I have the rest of the company do for the retreats. There's a little mystique, like, you know, a third of the company, or no, almost, more than almost two thirds of the company haven't been to one of our retreats. And so there's always people being like, oh my God, what's it like? And I hear people might cry and, you know, all these things and these stories and people get a little nervous and anxious about it. And fundamentally, I just say, look, all you need to do expect is a great time. It's a really, it's an incredible experience. It's a chance for us to come together, bond as a team, 
have a, a moment to celebrate what we've accomplished and then make sure that our minds are properly tuned to the challenges that lie ahead. That's, you know, that's kind of all I'm doing for the the pre-work in terms of getting the other people ready. And what's fun is that getting a lot of other people from the company involved in leading classes and leading meditation classes in the morning or yoga classes or running and, you know, uh, workshops. And I've got a couple of people from the team DJing our Tuesday night party. And so making it as much of an opportunity for each of the people in the company to show up and make a contribution to everyone around them as possible. And, you know, it's, it's very much informed from ten, a decade of going to Burning Man, a bunch of other festivals. My wife is a DJ in the kind of transformational music scene. And so I've been around a lot of really incredible festivals, and I've certainly drawn a lot of inspiration from those models because it creates an amazing kind of inspiration for people to contribute and be positive to everyone around them. That's definitely a model that I've pulled on quite heavily. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense from our previous call, which you were mentioning that, uh, or maybe you want to say, what, is, what does Burning Man mean for culture and growth at 15.5? Yeah, sure. I mean, Burning Man's a, been a huge inspiration. I mean, I think anybody that's been to Burning Man kind of gets it of why, why it would be an inspiration to a culture architect, to somebody that is in the business of designing cultures. You can't help but be influenced and inspired by what is created at Burning Man. And, you know, we have a program best self stipend at 15 and five, where we pay for people to go to different transformational workshops and learning opportunities. And in 2019, my co-founder David Hassel and I decided, Hey, look, we want to create opportunities for people to have transformational experiences in their life. What's been one of the most transformational experiences for ourselves? Well, shit, Burning Man. And so we decided to buy every 15 fiver their first ticket to Burning Man. If they want to go, then we will pay for their ticket. It was really, it's been really fun. And we only had a couple of people take us up on it last year, but there's a big crew that are interested in going this coming year, especially like some of our developers from Eastern Europe, people that would never have had Burning Man on their radar in a million years. And then because they work at 15.5, they're suddenly introduced to it. They go online, they look at the videos, they're like, holy moly, this looks amazing. And all of a sudden, they're planning on going to Burning Man. It gets back to this idea of, of starting to tear down some of the walls between professional development and personal development. That, yes, we want to respect the personal boundaries of every person in the company. And also, we want to create opportunities for people to grow and to ex experience new horizons their non-professional lives, because we know that is going to ultimately positively come back to the business. It might not be linear. I mean, who knows? Maybe the person goes to Burning Man and says, holy crap, I've, I don't want to ever want to, I don't want to have a normal job. I want to quit my job and become an artist. Well, you know what? That would be a major success story for 50 and 5, because I wouldn't have somebody that's partially engaged. I'd have somebody that would then count their lucky stars that they worked at 50 and 5, they got the inspiration to become a full-time artist, and then we help, we supported them in that transition. That is ultimately, that's the kind of legacy I want to have as a business. That's how I know we're succeeding as a company, is that we're in the business of helping people live the life they really want to live. And I absolutely know that there's enough people that, you know, what they really want is they really want to work at 15 and 5. I mean, in eight years, we've had astronomically low turnover. 
of the people that we wanted to stay at 15.5. You know, I think we've had, we've lost like five people in eight years. And so it's enormously profitable to make these kinds of investments because when you consider that it, it costs about two to four times the annual salary of a person to replace them with all the recruiting fees, the training fees, the loss of knowledge, it's a very worthwhile thing to invest in helping your people stay and stay engaged at your company. Yeah, that metric obviously shows how successful it's been. And it also shows for the people that have left to whatever pursue art or, or whatever they were pursuing, how how important it was and how necessary it was for them to leave, right? Like if, if your culture is this incredible that no one's leaving, then whatever they've learned by working with you and you being able to support their journey, it must have just been like so deeply rooted within them that they didn't even uncover it alone. Yeah, right. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? That, that person then has a positive association for the rest of their life and they will send us, they will refer friends, they'll refer customers. And um, that's how I want to do business. That's the kind of business, that's the kind of businessman I want to be. So I'd love to keep chatting, but uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, I know you have your first your first child on the way. Congrats! I'm sure I'll be looking. I'll listen to this podcast, thinking, "Wow, I was so incredibly naive about everything in life." I'm sure people with kids now are, are nodding in agreement in some ways. But how is that going to change your role, and, and how have you how have you structured roles so that when someone in a in a high leadership position position like yourself leaves, the, the whole company doesn't collapse? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's really important that we build resilient companies. You know, I, I've heard that the Motley Fool, which is an investment company, I think in New York, they do this thing where they have a basically a hat with all the names of the leadership team in it, and they'll, you know, I don't know how often they do this, maybe a couple times a year, they'll they'll draw a random name from the hat, and that person needs to immediately go on vacation for two weeks. They get two weeks off immediately. And they did this because they said, we do not want the business to collapse if we lose any one person at a moment's notice. So, and I love that idea. We, we aren't doing something like that at 15.5, but we probably should. But, you know, if your whole business falls apart because somebody is absent for a moment, it means that you haven't built a resilient enough system. And I think there's maybe exceptions to this. And, and there's, of course impossible to get it perfect. But in general, you want to make sure that there's backup plans, there's some redundancy baked into things. And it also allows founders for senior leaders, for anybody in a company to be able to take some time off. I'm taking two months off now and I we do four months of parental leave policy. And so I'm going to do two months now and two months later in the year. I also want to do it because I think that in general, you know, we view it as the mothers, the women having the baby. Okay, it makes sense for them to take proper amount of time off, but the men, eh, well, the men aren't really the nurturers. And so take a week and then we'll see you back in the office. And I think that that's part of, part of where the gender wage gap actually is rooted in. There's some fascinating research around that, but it's a little uncomfortable to be taking two months off coming up imminently here, but it also feels like it's an important thing for me to do to demonstrate that, yes, it is okay for men to actually take time off 
to bond with their kids, to bond with their family, to be there and to be a support for their families. And so it's going to be an interesting experiment. I mean, I haven't had two months off in a very long time. And so it's going to be a, a trip to, to just take a, take a pause and, and let go of work for a moment. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, certainly best of luck to you. And I'm sure, uh, again, some of the parents listening are saying you won't feel like you're taking off, but wait, I thought it was a vacation, man. I was looking forward <laughs> to sleeping in every day. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Jane, for coming on and chatting and sharing, sharing everything with us. My pleasure, Carson. Our guests on the podcast bring up some amazing thoughts on remote culture. How do they keep remote culture from becoming stale and distant when the team isn't physically present day by day? Most, if not all of them are leveraging in-person offsites. Get your employees out of the office and get ready for an experience that will give you a boost of team spirit. Head to thesurfoffice.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show to stay up to date with the latest conversations around the future of work. We'll be back with a brand new guest and some fresh ideas in a couple of weeks. Until soon.